great to see all of you here this day. We're in the midst of a three-week mini-series uh, entitled, Who Are We? We spent most of the summer looking at the question, um, who is God? And now for this uh, short period of time, we're looking at the question, who are we? I'm using our vision statement as kind of the outline uh, for this uh, three-week series of messages. Our vision statement is encounter grace, grow in grace, and become grace givers. And last week we looked at the who are we question then from encountering grace. And we learned from the parable of the prodigal uh, son that there are a couple things that tend to trip you up in life that cause uh, grace maybe to be cut off in your life. And those are illustrated in this story by the younger son and the older son in the parable. in the, in the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, first of all, you're introduced to this younger son who says to his father, um, give me my share of the estate, basically telling his father, I wish you were dead, I want your resources, I want to live life the way I want to live life. And when we look at him, we see lawlessness and we see a rebel, and he goes off, we're told in that parable, and squanders all of his father's money. But then something really, really, really important happens if you want to encounter the grace of God. The son comes to a census. And he says, hey, it was better for servants in my household than what I'm experiencing here in life. I'm going to return back home. And he returned home a broken, humbled young man. And then it's interesting to see the father's reaction to this younger son's return. The father, of course, in the parable of the prodigal represents God, right? And we see this father figure, this man representing uh, God the father, run to his son in unbridled joy, in an undignified manner, and embrace his son and welcome him back home. And what we learn here, when we look at the question, who are we when it comes to encountering the grace of God, what we learn here, Grace Point, is this. If we want to encounter the grace of God, we got to come to him as a humble, contrite, broken people, honest about who we are, and honest of our need of our Heavenly Father. Amen? If we want to experience that grace of God, that power, that enablement of God, uh, the younger son illustrates for us that brokenness is the key. Now we look at the older son in that parable, and we see something to the contrary of the younger son. He was into rights. He was into, I do this for you, Father. You do this back for me. He was what we would classically call a a religious person, a, a legalistic person. He was into rules and regulations. And that really was cutting him off from a relationship with his father, from grace of the father. And the father pleaded with the older son when the older son was upset about the father restoring the younger son. And he said, the father said to his older son, everything I have is yours. And it's like the father was saying, get my heart. Understand what matters in life. And the older son suffered from this problem. I do what I do to appease my father. And what really the father wanted from this older son was for him to perform those same things with an attitude of pleasing him, not appeasing him. And so what we learn here uh, about the question, who are we when it comes to encountering grace, if we're of uh, the bent a little bit of being, being around church for a while, maybe being more legalistic and rule-oriented, is this, we must never do our works. We must never do our following of God out of appeasing God. We must always do it with an attitude, I want to please my heavenly father. And if we do that, then I think we put ourselves in the way of encountering the grace of God. Now today we're on to the second part of our vision statement, growing in grace. And I want you to listen to this introductory thought. It's very important to get today. We are becoming what we are not yet. We are becoming what we are not yet. Do you ever feel like, man, I should be doing better than I am? 
I should be getting this by now. I'm dealing with the same insecurities I've already dealt with. I'm dealing with the same problems that tripped me up a few years ago, seem to trip me up again. Years ago, I was working um, at, uh, at a three implant in Knoxville, Iowa, when I was a young man. This is a long time ago. And um, I was in my early 20s, and I, I was fortunate enough and blessed enough to have a godly boss. His name was Ron. At the time, I thought he was a wise old sage. He, he was the age 45, and I was 23. So I thought this dude had lived a long life, you know, and he knew what he's talking about. And one day I was in talking to Ron and lamenting about you know, one of my most recent failures in following Christ. And uh, Ron began to talk to me about Christian experience and not to lose hope. And he kind of gave it to me in graphical format, which really speaks well to me because I'm a very visual person. But he began to, 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 to kind of draw it out and talk to me. He said, here's the Christian experience, Steve. You're going to go along and you're going to grow like this. But then you, something's going to be hiccup in your life. You're going to fail, right? And I was in one of those failure modes where I hadn't done something well, really well. And he said, well, here's the important thing when you have a hiccup to understand. is just repent, turn back to God, and become more dependent than ever on him in that area that you had just messed up in. And then you're kind of better off than when you started. And now you continue to grow like this, right? And then what happens again? Another hiccup, right? But look what's going on here. You're going up in your growth curve. He said, you're getting more dependent on God, and, and these things aren't bringing them, you down to where you were brought down before. And he kind of just drew this out for me, and did, we talked, and what I realized was what, 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 what so much of the Christian experience is really about it isn't how perfect I do, but how dependent I become on God. Amen? It's a different way of looking at your Christian experience. And Ron gave it to me visually, and I begin to see as I do that, then I have this upward growth pattern of becoming more like Christ. See, you are not yet what you are to be. Amen? You are becoming something that God has in store for you. And what we have to understand is that we come to Jesus based on grace, and what do we do when we live in him. We depend on him the same way for that grace to be poured out to us. You know what happens to a lot of us is that um, we, we, we try to do the Christian life in our own strength, and that's, that's very, very, very frustrating. And what we have to learn is how to be more dependent on God to do life. And the operative word for today's message is this, transformation. God's all about transformation in your life. Um, your being born again is just the beginning point of a life of becoming like Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about this word grace because I'm already this morning using it a lot. And I want to give you the definition I shared with us last week. It's good review if you're here last week. If you're here for the first time today, it'll be something that you can grab a hold of and understand when I use the word grace, this is what I mean. Grace comes from the Greek word charis. Charis. It is a favorable disposition of God toward sinners on account of Christ. It's God's unearned and unmerited favor. It's God's empowerment, enablement to come to him by faith and then to live in him by faith. I think we get the coming to God by grace, at least if you've been around evangelical circles very long, you get this idea that, hey, I can do nothing to earn my salvation, right? Amen? You could say amen, it's okay. You don't do anything to earn 
your salvation. It's a free gift of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we love to quote verses that, that point that out, like Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine. It's one of my favorite couple of verses for, for pointing a person to the idea that you don't do anything to earn your salvation. Here's what those verses say. For it is by what? Grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And, and we talk about this idea that when we're born again, uh, God does his work of renewal, and you're no longer the same person, and we kind of get that. We have songs even that get after this moment of, of transformation, this moment of being born again in Jesus Christ. Uh, I thought I had a really great illustration of a song this morning, but then I begin to ask the staff this last week, do you ever hear this song? Almost without exception, they had not heard the song. And so I'm gonna press forward anyway because it's a good song. Not really, but um, it illustrates the point well. When I was a, a younger guy and my kids were really little, um, this song, Bullfrogs and Butterflies, came out. Anybody know it? Raise your hand if you know it. It's all old people. No offense, I'm one of you. Bullfrogs and butterflies, you know. Bullfrogs and butterflies, we've both been born again, right? You know it? Nope. Bullfrogs and butterflies, we've both been born again. Now listen to this verse, it's really deep. Old tadpole in a fishing hole, he couldn't croak or jump to save his soul. But then one day, it's the funniest thing, why he started growing, turning green. Yes, he jumped on a lily pad, and he was croaking out a song, gave it all he had. And then it goes to the butterfly side of it. A little caterpillar on a blade of grass, she's noticing the days going by so fast. She's a lovely little lady. She's looking for a room. She's weaving and spinning out a fine cocoon. Why, it didn't take long till she saw the sky spread your wings, you butterfly. Bullfrogs and butterflies. We've both been born again. Ugh. All right, well, you get the point. You get the point, right? We, we kind of get this idea that I come to Jesus Christ it's a grace-based experience. It's something that God has done for me. It's unmerited. It, it's because of his favor. It's by his enablement and power that I'm born again, and the transformation process begin. You know, I was formerly a caterpillar, and now I'm a butterfly. I was formerly a tadpole, and now I'm a bullfrog. Although I don't know if that's an upgrade, really, to be honest with you. But here's a real common problem we have. Here's a real common problem that we have. You come to God by grace. And then you try really hard to live by works. We come to God by grace, but then try really hard to live by works. And you know what that does? It produces in us a frustration because you can't do it. It produces oftentimes legalism because we come up with all these rules, right? And all these ways and these, these things that make you okay with God. But we're to come to God by grace by his empowerment, his enablement, and we're to live and abide in him by grace and grow in grace and grow in dependence on him, understanding that he's doing this wonderful transformation process in our lives. So who are we? Who are we? We are followers experiencing the transformative power of God. That's who we are. That's who we're to be. And foundational to transformation is dependence dependence on God. This is a difficult concept to get, more so than I think we realize, because since we've been wee little babies, right? 
in our diapers and whatever, eating our baby food. The whole time we've been growing up, what have we been growing towards? Independence, self-reliance, being a contributing citizen. We're growing into that kind of a, a situation. Well, then we come along and we tell you, people like myself, like, listen, you gotta be dependent on God. It's just contrary to everything that we get taught. Instead of being independent, self-reliant, and all that kind of stuff, you're to go down and what? Become really dependent on God. That's growing up in him. It's just so contrary to everything that we're taught. Uh, when I graduated from uh, college initially, in 1980, I've graduated a couple times. Some of you are relating to me on that one. Um, I had this mechanical engineering degree, and I felt called into ministry right away. But I had a, a two-pronged challenge that faced me at that moment in my life. I was like uh, 22, 23, right in that age range. And I realized I hadn't done much life as a Christ follower really yet. And perhaps it would be wise to actually be married for a while and understand how to raise kids just a little bit before I started telling other people how to do that. You know, that was my logic as a really young guy. I needed some life experience and practical experience. The second challenge I had, though, I had no idea where to go to seminary. I couldn't find one that I really liked, that I really agreed with, and, and so that was a bit of a problem. Well, then in 1990, after years of working, I moved here to this town, and I found this church, and immediately felt at home here. And one of the distinctives I, I really begin to like about our particular do denomination, you hardly ever hear me talk about our denomination, but about the Western Church. One of the distinctives I really, really liked was the emphasis on transformation, was the emphasis on that idea that when you're born again in God, you're to become something you are not yet. Amen? And I thought, yeah, that's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart uh, 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 of the New Testament, that you become something you're, you're not yet. And, and, and it really resonated with my soul. So who are we? Who are we here at Grace Point? Um, we are becoming like Jesus by the infilling of the Holy Spirit, by the instruction of God's word, by participating in community and as iron sharpens iron, we're sharpening each other. By all these means of grace, uh, these things are creating in us something that we're not yet. And we're becoming Christ-like. Years before, um, well, let me, let me back up. Right before I, I, I came here to pastor at Grace Point, I was pastoring in a church in, in uh, Northwest North Dakota in Williston and I pastored there for about 10 years. And uh, a longtime friend of mine, a member of the church, came to me, his name was Kevin, and he had it with him a 20-page paper that his mother's denomination had put out explaining some things that he was struggling with, and he wanted me to read this position paper of this denomination, which I'm not gonna get into any details of, and talk to his mother and tell her why she should leave that denomination. <laughs> I get the strangest requests as a pastor at times. And I love Kevin, and we were really good friends. And so I said, well, I'll read the position paper and give you my opinion. I guess I can do that for you, you know. And so I begin to read this position paper, and they're talking about why they had taken certain positions on some issues. And one of the things that began to bother me right away was I read 20 pages, and I didn't see one reference to the Bible and to any scripture. That bothered me. That's a bit of a red flag, amen? And then I begin to 
really say, uh, try to hear the heart of what was being said in this position paper. And basically, the conclusion that was being reached by this particular uh, uh, leadership group of this denomination was that, uh, you know, we're all really pretty bad. And who are we to say that someone else's badness is bad? We can't judge each other. Anything goes in this life on this planet. And we're counting on the fact that in the next life to come, Jesus will make everything right. And I read that a few times, and I said, am I reading this right? Because my friends, that's the most hopeless position paper in Christianity I have ever read. You're saying that God can't do any work in his people at all? That we're just so bad off and everyone's so bad off that all we can hope to do is kind of get by and not do anything to hurt anybody in this life and everything will be right, right in a life to come? That is not the message of Christ at all. The message of Christ is that we're becoming something we formerly were not. When I, when I read that position paper, I was reminded of that famous quote by Popeye the Sailor Man. I mean, I'm getting deep on you now, but I even have a, a, a cartoon clip. You've got to watch this. Watch this. Now, this is funny when it comes to Popeye the Sailor Man. He says, I am what I am, and that's what I am. And we laugh, and that's Popeye the Sailor Man. But listen, when it comes to our Christian experience, that's utterly sad. To say, I am what I am, and that's what I am, that's despairing. That's hopeless. And when I read that paper, I broke. And I don't normally do this, but I went to Kevin, who's a really good friend. I said, get her out of there. <laughs> get her to some place where there's hope where there's belief in the transformation of Jesus Christ. When you're born again, you begin this wonderful journey of God of becoming something you formerly were not. Transformation truly is the operative word. As the Bible says, we're to work out our salvation with trembling and fear. The old way is gone, and we're becoming something totally new, and God knows this, and it's the best thing ever. You'll find this story all over the Bible of transformation. Amen? You know the saddest phrase I hear sometimes? Is someone will be dealing with an issue and some well-intentioned believer who's a friend of theirs or whatever will say, well, you know, that's just the way they are. And you know what I say back now in love of Jesus? Well, that's just totally wrong, isn't it? We don't ever just make peace with our deficiencies. We don't ever just say, that's just the way I am. Do you hear Jesus saying to you, hey, you know what, I know that you don't do very well, that's okay, just be who you are. That's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that we follow this God who empowers us to become something that we formerly were not. So for a few moments, I'm gonna talk with you on Two keys to transformation, and I'm just going to use Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11. It's not like this is a magical epistle, because you can do this with almost any epistle and any gospel of the Bible. You can come up with a transformation message. But it's just, it just one I know really well and I like, and it's a sampling from the Bible uh, about how transformation is to be something that you and I all experience, and it gives us a couple of keys of becoming what you're not yet. All right, so I'm going to begin by reading Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. I'll listen to what this scripture says. 
Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So here's the first key to transformation uh, revealed in this Colossian scripture. Set your heart and mind on things above. Set your heart and mind on things above. Here's what that word set means in both instances of setting your heart and mind. It means to seek. Now, in reference to the heart, it's in, it means to, to, to turn your whole life outward towards relationship with Jesus Christ. Your allegiance to him should take precedence over all allegiance to anything else. Now, the way I would say it is this way. Aim. Aim your heart toward God. In everything you do, make a conscious purposeful decision to aim your heart toward God. Now, set your mind is also a seeking of God. Um, one commentator said this way, you must not only seek heaven, you must think heaven. You must think heaven. So what it's meant here is that you're, you're giving the things of God a place in your mind, and you're thinking on them. And the way I would say it in the point is this, give God a large place in your thought life. Give God a large place in your thought life. When your heart is aimed at God, when you're giving him a large place in your thought life, guess what will transpire? Transformation. The grace of God will flow into your life. So who are we? We are people aiming our hearts towards God, giving him a large space in our thought life. So how do we do this? How does this actually take place? Let me talk to you on that for just a moment. Uh, I went to a leadership conference here a couple weeks ago, and at one point in the conference, they had this reflective time. And I kind of like that anymore, this reflective time. And I began to reflect on some of the things that, they, that had been shared at this conference. But one of the thoughts that really began to kind of percolate in my mind is this. When it comes to our relationship with God, we tend to make it into a project way too quickly. We tend to uh, think, well, I'll do this and this and this, and then we get our planner out. <laughs> you know, I don't like planners at all, but we get that out, or you get out your phone and you put it in your to-do list in your phone or whatever, you know, your methodology is, and then we kind of turn it into a project. I do this and this, and I'm okay with God. You know what we've just done? We've moved out of the grace realm into what? The works realm. Unintentionally, we've done that. Even with good intentions, we do that, I think, more easily than we realize. And so what I took away from that is, I need to aim my heart towards you, God. It's not so much about a certain methodology. It's about having a heart that's always aimed at you, and it's about having a mind that has some capacity to think about you. So let me tell you how this is fleshing itself out in my life, because I really feel like um, God is doing a work in me, and I'm experiencing a, a, a peace and a renewed energy yeah, that I haven't experienced for years. So I'm, I, I'm golfing um, on Friday morning. I golf because I'm too old to play basketball now. So just so you know, it's not that I love golf so much. Uh, I just need to get exercise of some sort. And I always said, when I'm too old to play basketball, I'll take up golf. I guess that day is upon me. It's a sad, sad moment. But... Um, so I go out early in the morning because you know what, I don't, I don't like the wait. I just want to get 
I want to just get to the, yeah, anyway, you know what I'm saying. So you know what I thought? Okay, I'm doing this golfing thing. I'm outside. It's kind of a rainy, drizzly day, but it's beautiful. I thought, I need to aim my heart towards God while I golf. So I begin to pray. And I said, I need to just give him a large part of my thinking process. This game of golf I'm playing, it doesn't matter. You follow what I'm saying? No one cares what score I have. I don't even care, <laughs> you know? And so I begin to just pray for my family. Now, I have a large family. I have uh, six kids and 12 grandkids. So it takes me about an hour <laughs> to pray for them. But uh, so I know when I start that prayer process, it's not like, oh, God, bless my family, you know? That's kind of, a, 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 yeah, that's kind of a wimpy way out. Um, and so I begin to pray for each one, you know? Just get my heart, I mean, Liz just had her fifth one, <laughs> charity. So I'm praying, you know, my heart begins to, to really yearn for my children. I love my kids. And I, I you to pray for Liz and Bruce. I say, just God, just be in their marriage. Fill their home with your presence. Bless Kieran, bless Acacia, bless Isaiah, and, and bless Karis. Karis is having a hard time with charity. Her oldest sister, I knew, you know, we knew this. To be, give her the space in her life to understand that, that her little sister charity is a blessing, you know. And I begin to pray specifically. I'm aiming my heart. I'm, I'm praying these, these promises of God. When I went through my whole family like that, well, that took about an hour. It takes about two and a half hours to do 18 holes of golf, Okay when you're walking and you're by yourself. So I thought, you know what, I should pray for my staff. And, uh, you know, we're under a, a lot of stress sometimes, and lots of things are going on. It's a good thing. So I begin to pray by everyone by name, and every one of their children by name. And I begin to say, bless their marriages. Grace them with capacity, Lord. Grace them with competency. Grace them with space in their life to love on you, but still do the calling that you've called them to do. And give them grace when people say things to them that maybe aren't true, but they're well-intentioned, but they're not true. And help us to be discerning and help us to be people who love unconditionally. And I just prayed through everyone. Then you know what I did after that? I prayed for today, for this moment. I said, oh God, you know we gather together and sometimes we just go through church and it can be mundane and routine. I don't want it to be routine. I want it to be anything but routine. I want your presence to be there. I want people's hearts touched. And only your Holy Spirit can do that. And I begin to pray for the church. And you know what I did after that? I got done. <laughs> Went home. So that was an anticlimactic ending, wasn't it? But I was done golfing, you know what I mean? So, you know, I, I, I got done. I got, but see, that, this, is, this, is, this is growing in grace. This is becoming more dependent on God. Okay, it's aiming your heart at him and, and, and having capacity and, and the space in, in your head to think about him a lot and doing it on purpose. And as you do that, I think God endues you with power. I think he fills you with his Holy Spirit. I think he fills you with his grace. Let's look at the second key to transformation uh, maybe revealed here in Colossians 3. I'm gonna read to you verses five through 11. Listen to the scripture. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew. Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So here's point number two for, for uh, I think, a key thought for, for experiencing the transformation of God. Have a funeral. Have a funeral and put to death the earthly nature. Put to death the earthly nature. When you become a Christ follower, 
You die to self. And what, what Paul is saying here in, 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 in Colossians is, listen, it's time. It's time for your life to align with your testimony. As a Christ follower, have a funeral for some of these things. And, and there's kind of an urgency to this uh, this teaching by the Apostle Paul, you're to wipe the old nature out. You're to cut it off. You're to exterminate. You're to give it no space in, in your life. Um, one commentary I read was really interesting in the, in the illustration it used uh, to talk about the urgency. It said this, it's like a press operator operating a, a big old printing press with a couple rollers. He gets his hand caught in the rollers and he's being sucked into this machine. And for some unknown reason, he has an ax there. But it's their story and their illustration, so you can make it up any way you want, amen? And so he's realizing, if I do not take quick action, my whole body will be sucked into this machine and I'll die. So he grabs that ax and he lops his hand off so to save himself. And, and, and um, that, that's the picture of the urgency and the seriousness of dealing with something that's of this earth, earthly nature, to not do so sucks you into its death, amen? It sucks you into its malice, into its ungodliness. And so when we're dealing with these issues like slander and gossip and, and lying and, and, you know, anger and, and, you know, all the other things that listed that are called idolatry, we're not supposed to give it any space. We're supposed to, in our minds, visualize Here's a coffin. This is my particular issue. Maybe it's insecurities for you. Maybe it's fear for you. You know, maybe it's uh, you've got a, a problem with somebody else and unforgiveness or whatever. You, you open up that lid of that coffin. You put that thing in that coffin. You shut the lid and you bury it, amen? And you bury it deep. And then you don't dig it back up. You let it remain buried. That, that's the imagery that's being painted here. We're going to give no space to our earthly nature. As I was mentioning before, one of the saddest things I hear is when uh, uh, somebody's acting, you know, deviant or something like that in the body of Christ. I don't mean deviant next with a sexual issue. I'm just saying they're acting inappropriately as a follower of Christ. And I hear a well-intentioned brother or sister say, well, that's just who they are. That should make us go, What? That's just who we are? If you ever say that about yourself, I am what I am, that's what I am, I want you to see my face saying, no, that's not true. <laughs> you are not what you are, and that's just who you are. You're to put that earthly nature to death. You're to be ruthless with yourself. You're to be honest and transparent, and you're to put it to death. Have a funeral. Have a holy discontentment about those things contrary to God. And let it well up within you and let the battle of the Spirit rage within you and let him win, amen? And put it to death. See, God has taken each one of his followers on a journey to becoming like Jesus. We're to become something where we are not yet. And the goal is that we would have the sweetness, the flavor of Christ in our lives. Um, my wife, Vicki, uh, went to our daughter's house Elizabeth's house to help her with her new baby charity for a week. And on the way home, she brought two things I love. One was Krispy Kreme donuts. She went through Omaha, and we know where that Krispy Kreme place is at. And she brought home those donuts, and I thought, ah, oh, you eat those things like cookies. That's the problem with them. You can eat five or six. Well, anyway, that's my problem. So <laughs> the other thing she brought home was about 20 peaches. They had bought uh, one of those crated peaches, like we have Oasis sales here, and we buy the fruit, you know what I mean? And she brought these peaches home. I bit into that first peach. Now, Krispy Kreme donuts, that's a given, they're good, amen? 
Those things are good, they're nasty good. Anyway, so I bit into this peach, right? <sighs> That's my bite. It was so stinking good. I don't know if I've ever had a better peach. I looked and said, whoa, did that taste sweet? And the juice is trying to dribbling all over everything. I go, that is one really, really good peach. And I bit it again, second bite's just as good. And then I started looking at the other peaches. Hmm, should I have a couple more right now? Or do I have the discipline to save those babies for later on? And I, I saved them, and each day I'd eat it at lunch or whatever. You know, I'm going, this is so good. Peaches shouldn't be this good, you know? And I think this way now, I'm going someplace with this. Growing in grace means you taste like that peach. When someone bites into your life, right, guys? They bite into your life, right, girls? And they go, mmm, good. You taste like Jesus. Hopefully, if someone's biting on you, you will stop them from doing that. But you follow what I'm saying. It's a figurative kind of thing. They bite in your life, and they go, oh, you're so good. You taste good. And then Paul continues on in Colossians 3. That's what he talks about, the sweetness of looking like Jesus Christ. He talks about people clothed with compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience, forgiving each other, full of the love of Christ and the peace of God dwelling richly in them. And that's sweetness. And here's how I want to end today. I want to end by having us reading out loud Colossians 3, 12 through 17, with you understanding you're to be a peach like this. This is who you're to become in Jesus Christ. Who are we in God? Who are we here at Grace Point? Who are we to become when it comes to encountering grace? We're to be people with our hearts aimed towards God, amen, with our minds given the capacity, uh, the space to let God's thoughts dwell in there, putting our earthly nature to death, being ruthless, but then ultimately, we're to be peachy to somebody, all right? So stand up and let's read Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17 out loud together. Here we go. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So now, just for a couple minutes, we're going to sing this last song, and I want to encourage you, aim your heart at God as you sing it.